Welcome to Enterprise Radio, the signature show of the Enterprise Podcast Network, featuring some of the most prominent business professionals in the world today. And now your host, Eric Dye. This is Eric Dye, and once again, welcome to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Joining us on the program, we have Mr. Patrick Esposito, the author of The Structure of Success and the CEO of Initiative Labs and president of Acme General Corp. And Mr. Esposito, thanks for joining us here today. Hey, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. You're more than welcome. Thanks for taking out a moment to be with us here today. So to get things underway here today, it's easy for business owners and leaders to focus on the external factors that can impact their companies. But you say that it's actually internal factors that can make the difference between success and failure. Get into the reasons why that is. Absolutely, Eric. And, and, you know, I guess to to your point, right, I, I was by nature from a very young age a warrior, right? And what I found was over time and as I carved out a, a pathway in, in business that there was a right way to worry and there was a wrong way to worry, right? And as I started um, you know, building companies from the ground up and later got brought into a public traded company to help um, with some operational activities there, you know, I, I found that we spent a lot of time obsessing and worrying about external factors, but that as I looked at the businesses I had started and led, looked at the businesses that I was working in and later was looking at businesses that I was advising, right, both as uh, a practicing attorney as well as, um, you know, board member and advisor to, to you know, now over 100 some companies, I found that there were you know, at least to me, anecdotally, eight areas where if you had good plans in those eight areas, you usually could overcome obstacles and threats no matter what. And, you know, the eight areas were, you know, having a good governance team, right? Especially if you're a small business owner, you may be the only owner, maybe the only real decision maker. You still need a sounding board to help you make sure the strategy is right, right? A good management team some conceptualization of how to make adjustments and pivots when you see the business is not um, you know, producing either revenue or, or income that you want or that your team's unhappy, right? Uh, some examples. You need to have a way to look at growth and infrastructure investment, right? Most of us who start companies don't like to spend money. Um, we'd, rather, we'd rather figure out how to you know, pay our team, pay ourselves, um, and deliver better value for customers as opposed to making infrastructure spend. But Infrastructure spend is important. You've got to figure out how to make the right decisions, though. And the other four areas, you know, having a process for managing business disputes and breakups, having a framework for looking at, you know, business transaction opportunities, mergers, acquisitions, exits. And the last two are the things nobody really likes to think about, right, which are disaster preparedness and secession planning. And and I laugh because, you know, you talk about the first six areas that are important. Everybody's like, okay, I can get on board with that. And then you talk about, the last two, which are disaster preparedness. Well, I don't know if I need to prepare for, you know, all the disasters that could be in front of us and secession planning. I don't know what this business is going to be without me, right? Those are things nobody likes to think about, generally don't like to talk about, but those are two really critical ones. And I took the anecdotal data I had, did a survey of a hundred other business executives. and, And what I found was the eight things that seemed important anecdotally to me were the eight things that came out of the surveys 
as being the most important to other leaders. Um, so I thought, hey, it's probably time to kind of put into writing um, the way that I approach these issues um, in an organized way um, and see if hopefully they can help others the way they've helped me and, and the businesses that I've led or advised. Really do appreciate the full coverage and full response there. That is most helpful and a great way to kick things off here today. Now, the subtitle of your new book, The Structure of Success, is a framework to help build your business better. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you've come to recognize the significance of business structure and why did you write this book? Yeah, so um, my background, an attorney by training, still licensed to practice law um, and, and do so um, but, you know, an entrepreneur by heart um, and, you know, probably um, someone who, you know, would be an industrial engineer or organizational uh, psychologist if I'd, you know, thought through life better when I was going into undergraduate school. But, you know, the reality is you kind of end up with the tool set that you create, right? And now over, I guess, well over 20 years operating businesses, um, getting close to 25 years. Um, what I have found, right, is that part of what makes businesses succeed over time or what positions them for acquisitions, if that's the goal, is having this organized framework to look at these, you know, you know pillars, right, that, that basically you need to operate your business. And so, you know, part of what I've done with Initiative Labs is help some folks in their business go through you know, essentially the assessment phase, right? Because when you're looking at a framework, right, there's, to me, there's four steps, right? There's assessing, there's prioritizing, there's planning for what you're going to implement, and then there's implementing. And unfortunately, you know, what I see too often is either, you know, paralysis by analysis, where we, we over-examine um, things that we ought to be considering both on adding board members, adding management team members, you know, all those eight areas that we talked about uh, and not making decisions. Or I see folks making decisions, but not doing it in a disciplined way where you're able to take all of these eight areas that are sort of broadly important to most businesses or other areas that you may find are important to you and your business, uh, because, you know, it's not exclusively these eight could be other things. But folks will often say, well, all right, I made a decision over the weekend. We got to do something about this. You know, sometimes that's right. But sometimes what you need to do is take that epiphany you had, you know, uh, while, you know, doing chores or, or, or you know, uh, going for a run or what have you and weigh that against all the other things that you've assessed that could potentially help your business and decide really what are the priorities. And then part of the other Thing that I've run into is, you know, you can end up with everything being a priority, right? And obviously, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. So I try to tell, especially small and medium-sized business owners, you, you've got to prioritize one to three things that you really want to focus on making changes in over time. Um, so, you know, if, if all of those eight areas are not well aligned, you're not going to attack them all day one, right? You're going to think about what are the most important changes to make for my business today? you know, do the planning for maybe one to three of them, do the implementation sequentially for the most important things. If you're a larger business, you can obviously, you know, do more things at once. Um, but, you know, for small and medium-sized businesses, 
it's really critical to be disciplined and methodical about looking at how to get your business well aligned for future growth or an exit, if that's the goal. Now, another question for you looking at leaders, how can leaders recruit, engage, and compensate managers to best achieve success? And why is this factor so important? Yeah. So, you know, to, to your point, right, um, especially in situations where there's a small number of owners of a business, right, as, as many businesses are structured with either sole owners or a couple of partners. Um, but the, you know, the whole team and frankly, some of your best talent may or may not, um, you know, may or may not be owners. Um, part of what is critically important is to make sure that how you as a business owner get paid aligns to how the people who are helping you run the business get paid. Right. So, you know, one of the things that, that I like to tell people is, you know, management team meetings really do need to be, team meetings, right? They need to not be, um, you know, <laughs> monologues from the executive leadership. They need to not be, um, you know, outside consultants coming in and telling the management team what's going to happen, right? They need to be organized. There needs to be a regular agenda that allows for team members to both, you know, present and learn from their fellow team members, right, who are also presenting, presentation of outside ideas, right? An organized framework that allows those meetings to be productive and voices to be heard. Because at the end of the day, right, if you're empowering your team to be heard, um, you don't always have to agree and you don't always have to take the recommendations or suggestions, but you can probably bet that if you have folks who have changes they think need to be made, if you don't hear them out and you don't talk through and get to a yes or no and a why, a lot of those folks are going to either be frustrated and leave or, you know, potentially end up undermining the business from inside. So, you know, management team activities are important from a collaboration standpoint. And to your to the point we started with around compensation, you know, the way you get paid, right, which at the end of the day, usually as a business owner or executive leader, comes down to are we growing the business and are we growing it profitably and that's why you know generally i recommend compensation tie to those two factors that a lot of people tie compensation to but let me add one other piece sustainably because in a lot of situations you know many businesses can be subject to regulations or compliance and i've seen a lot of organizations not look at compensating based upon revenue growth and profitability that aligns to compliance. And when you fail to put that counterweight in, that is how organizational value gets created, right? Because organizational value gets created not just by, you know, taking off like a rocket ship and not worrying about the consequences. As you're moving the business forward, you've got to think about what can undermine it. And so if you end up with you know, from a uh, uh, compliance standpoint, fines or penalties um, or, you know, investments gone awry, those downside elements need to be incorporated into the compensation profile um, for salespeople, right? The same way that who, who may be kicking off these these bad deals because they're, they're only compensated on the top line or something. The same way that, you know, profitability and income growth need to be ways that your compliance legal risk management team get compensated because 
you know, sometimes that group can try to put the brakes on things just to stay compliant if their whole metric is skewed another direction, right? So I think it's a lot about taking a comprehensive view on compensation and taking a view that says we ought to have a comprehensive dialogue and conversation um, to help make sure everybody stays engaged and focused on positive business outcomes. Once again, today we're joined by Mr. Patrick Esposito, the author of The Structure of Success and the CEO of Initiative Labs and president of Acme General Corp. He's joined us here today on Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Now, in the book, The Structure of Success, you discuss business relationships and what causes them to fray. What are some of the most common reasons for leaders to have problems with their partners or others whom they need to trust? And how can leaders recover and adjust when a partnership ends? Yeah, so, you know, it's it's interesting, right? Because, you know, not picking the right management team or not picking the right business partners are, are really two of the primary, you know, human elements that can undermine um, a business or cause it to fail. What I've found, unfortunately, right, with business partnerships is that when you start them, you don't want to spend a lot of money on lawyers usually. So you end up with very, very lightweight, um, you know, operating agreements for LLCs or, or bylaws and shareholders agreements for corporations or partnership agreements that don't really define very well what happens when someone wants to exit a business. And you know, the other piece is it, it may or may not have a requirement for independent voices in board meetings. And I'm going to give you two examples of how to solve some of these problems um, in, in sequence. You know, the first is if your business is still going after, you know, year one, <laughs> you've done far better than a lot of business owners. And so at that point, if you have the resources or even earlier, make the investment to do good legal documents where everybody lays out the structure for decision-making exits of partners, how those stakes are valued um, so that everybody knows what things look like and no one can press for outlandish compensation if they want to exit at some point down the road. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, and I actually have to credit some friends of mine who had an environmental services business. Two partners generally agreed on most things, occasionally didn't agree on some things. And they said, look, you know, we like the idea of having a third person in our board meetings, but we want that person to be a sounding board, not a vote. Um, they said, we don't want to give up any control to anybody who's not an owner, but, you know, what do you think about participating in our board meetings? We're happy to compensate you in some way. Um, you know, for your time, but we want you to be there to help us make decisions, especially when we don't agree. And I thought that was a really great concept, right? Sometimes you want to have independent board members. Sometimes your investors may require it, but when you don't and it's closely held, you may or may not want people who don't own a sizable chunk of the company to actually have, you know, <laughs> decision-making capabilities at a board. So, invite them to participate, right? In this way, I was basically a board advisor. Um, and I think it was a really good experience. Um, and yeah, I, I like to think the friends who asked me to do it hopefully got some good good wisdom and helped them to together come to consensus when maybe without that third voice in the room, it might've been harder to get there and could have caused you know more strife um, in their relationship. But anyway, to your point around how do you get there, I think part of it is putting and writing the rules of the game and part of it is operating 
your decision making in a fairly pragmatic way and sometimes asking other people for help. Just those last words on that response to that question, asking for help, that is a key factor right there alone. Now, what are some common obstacles that leaders face that they fail to anticipate and how can they put a plan in place to deal with the unforeseen crisis or crises? So, you know, look, I, I tend to look at unforeseen crises as as being two flavors, right? There's um, events and you know, that are non-human and then there's human events, right? And so when I look at disaster preparedness and secession planning, you can look at them separately because they are separate, but you can also look at how they work together. So, you know, part of the way that I tend to operate is look at what could go wrong in a business, right? What clients could we lose? How quickly, how quickly could we lose them? Um, what capabilities could we lose as far as, you know, software and, you know, I, I, some of the businesses that I advise are in heavily regulated industries, you know, sometimes they are told that they need to make significant changes on, on platforms, right. For, for cybersecurity um, purposes. So, you know, coming up with plans and looking at scenarios and without getting too deeply into them, right. Unless you're legally required by regulators to do so, but having, here's a risk, here's something that could go wrong. Here's how we would solve it. It's great to have, to me at least, those scenarios kind of gamed out. And when it comes to the human piece, right, there's, you know, people who decide they don't want to be part of your business anymore and leave. And I always tend to think through, you know, how would we re- how would we replace certain valued team members if they were to, you know, decide to go somewhere else? The other thing is, right, unfortunate circumstances where someone, you know, either either dies or has a long-term health issue. Um, so, you know, I'm constantly thinking through and advising clients to think through how to deal with those unforeseen human-based uh, events as well. And frankly, you're not going to be ready for everything, but you can be ready for some things. And often some of the things you got ready for you know, may or may not help you to be ready for things you did not anticipate. Now, I'll kind of go to, we all, we all worked through, you know, at least those of us who, you know, older than, than 20 something, right? Uh, on 25, probably we all worked through the start of the COVID pandemic. Uh, you know, we, we had some business situations where we hired in one of the companies I was running, um, and started staffing a very remote work-based organization. Um, we were ready for COVID because we were used to working remotely. You know, what we had to change was not being able to access our customers, um, you know, with face-to-face contact, but, you know, we all went online, all went virtual, all figured out how to adapt. Um, But, you know, by necessity of needing to bring talent in from across the U.S. to deliver for clients in, you know, 2018, 2019, strangely, right, we solved one problem, which was, how do you diversify when you can't find talent where your offices are? We solved another problem, right? We were ready for a pandemic. So, you know, sometimes the problem you get ready for helps you with a problem you didn't think you had. Yeah, isn't that the truth? A great point made right there as well. Lastly, uh, why is it so difficult for leaders to approach succession planning rationally? And second question, what advice would you have for those folks to do a better job of succession planning, which seems to always be put on the back burner? Yeah, so, you know, 
secession planning, right? There's there's emergency secession planning, which is something happens quickly and you need to sort of patch things up and, and move forward. And then there's long-term secession planning. And, you know, emergency secession planning is the part that, um, you know, I think if organizations are looking at secession planning, they tend to look at those, you know, unfortunate circumstances and how do you, you know, uh, patch things up to move forward um, quickly, right? Like instantaneously. What gets ignored is the long-term secession planning. And, you know, there's an alignment to, um, you know, human talent, you know, human capital, human talent management, um, where if you're making the right investments in your team, right, um, you can build their long-term trajectory to be able to replace yourself, right, at some point. Um, and maybe that's because you want to retire, be semi-retired or, uh, you know, maybe unfortunately you, you, you're just, you know, you're no longer here, but it happens over a longer term. So what I like to do is tell folks, you know, integrated succession planning is the way you need to look at this. There's an emergency piece that you need to identify. And then there's the long-term piece and, you know, on the long-term piece, it could be about developing talent. It could be about an awareness that, you know, someone who you know, who is outside the business, who you can't afford to pay to bring into the business until you leave the business, right? Um, that you need to identify that talent, keep in touch with that talent and be ready to potentially bring that talent in um, as you transition out. So, you know, I, I tell folks, don't be short-sighted only, right? If you think about it at all, don't just think about the emergency piece. Think about the long-term piece if you're planning on having the business around for a while. Um, and look, you know, most businesses will have someone leave either because they wanted to leave or because unfortunately, you know, they're no longer here. And whether it's an emergency secession need or a long-term secession need, you know, it needs to be not just about the executive team, but about any of your critical roles on management or even specialists, you know, who have great talents who aren't executive or management team members too. So... Mr. Esposito, really do appreciate your visit with us here today and your insights shared per your expertise. Can't thank you enough. Of course, you are the author of the book, The Structure of Success. Where can listeners pick up this book and also get more information on yourself as well? So um, the uh, book is available at most online retailers, uh, maybe in some of your local bookstores, especially uh, some of the airport bookstores that are out there. Um, you can check out patrickesposito.com to learn more about uh the book, uh, me and the businesses that, um, that I operate and advise. And um, Eric, thank you so much for the time today. Hey, you're more than welcome. My pleasure to do so. Again, folks, it is patrickesposito.com. Of course, this link will be found within the show notes of this broadcast for your convenience as well. Mr. Esposito, thanks again for joining us here today on EPN. Thanks so much, Eric. And you're certainly more than welcome anytime. Again, we've been speaking with Mr. Patrick Esposito, the author of The Structure of Success and the CEO of Initiative Labs and president of Acme General Corp. And for all the details, visit patrickesposito.com. And this is Eric Dye, and you've been listening to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Tune in to our live location as we are streaming live 24-7 around the world at epodcastnetwork.com forward slash live. You can also find our live stream on iTunes Radio and TuneIn Radio as well as the TuneIn Radio app for your listening convenience. And as always, we thank you for your support and for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Enterprise Radio. 
To subscribe to more of our programming, visit epodcastnetwork.com. This is the ePodcast Network.